Welcome to the 89th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your temporary host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a quick overview of my weekend predictions and both of our predictions for the World Series, although Randy obviously is not here, uh, but I do have his prediction. Uh, I'm recapping week eight of the college football season and week seven of the NFL season. So let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4than24.com. Starting in college football, I went 3-1 and one in NCAA predictions. And in the NFL, I went 2-2. Two and two. So overall, a 5-3 and three week, bringing me to 2-11 and 158. Overall, a 57.2 winning percentage this season. Uh, my predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday, but let's talk about those predictions really, really quick. Uh, well, in college, had a lot of close, well, not really so many close games. I mean, the Oregon-UCLA game was very, very close. Uh, Clemson-Pitt, you could describe as close because of the end of the game score, but it wasn't necessarily uh, the closest game throughout. Uh, San Diego State pretty much took care of Air Force in the first two quarters. Uh, pretty much had the game over at halftime with a 21 to nothing lead. Uh, so I got that prediction wrong. And then the last prediction that I had in uh, college football was Wisconsin's giant upset. Well, not upset, but giant win, of, a giant margin of victory that they had at Purdue. Uh, so that one <laughs> wasn't very close either. Uh, in the NFL, you had the Chiefs come out and just, I mean, the Chiefs just got obliterated. Uh, and frankly, so did the Ravens by the Bengals, although the Chiefs was much worse because a potent, we, we know they don't play very good defense, but a very potent offense apparently scoring only three points is pretty, pretty bad. Uh, so those were the two losses there. And then the Saints clawed out a win over Seattle on the road, 13-10 uh, on Monday Night Football. And the other game I predicted was the uh, Bears against the Buccaneers because, well, there weren't really many good get, good games this week between winning record teams. So I had to pick the only other game that had a 500 team and uh, a winning record team in it. So uh, that's what I ended up picking. Obviously, it wasn't gonna ever going to be really that close, but you know what? I had to predict what I had to predict, and I'll take the free win. Uh, in terms of World Series predictions... I have a more complicated prediction, so I'll start with Randy's. Randy says the Braves in seven. I'm going to disagree. I will pick Houston in seven. However, there is a condition that I believe will rule over the series. We know what Freeman will do. We know what Albies will do. Uh, we know what Altuve and Correa and Bregman will do. But I really think that this series comes down to the guys around them. I think it comes down to the Jordan Alvarez's, the Kyle Tucker's. Uh, Eddie Rosario and Jock Peterson and Jorge Soler, those kind of guys for both teams. Uh, and I believe that if Jordan Alvarez outhits Eddie Rosario, the ALCS and NLCS MVPs respectively, I believe that is the key to winning the series. I think that whichever one out of Rosario or Alvarez has the most hits and a better average, and I mean, if it's if one of them has more hits and the other has, be uh, has a better average, then I don't really know what's going to happen. But uh, I think that Alvarez will out-hit Rosario, and I believe that that will be the margin uh, that Houston wins by because Atlanta was shifting a lot on the Dodgers, and the Dodgers even got a run from Cody Bellinger in the last game of the series uh, off of just a tiny ground ball behind the shift. And uh, that's what Jordan Alvarez has been doing. He's been shooting balls to left field with only one guy on that side of the infield. We'll see if Atlanta plays him differently because of that. But I believe because of that, I'm going to pick Houston uh, I think that Jordan Alvarez will help Houston along with 
Altuve and Correa, and the fact that they have home field advantage, I think is huge. So I will pick Houston. Um, regardless of that, regardless of the World Series predictions, moving back <laughs> to what I said before, my predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. So now let's move on to the weekly look at college football action. Uh, starting with the best games of week eight, I picked three. The first one I'm going to talk about Illinois against Penn State, the longest game by time, at least, in NCAA history. Uh, not by time, by uh, by amount of periods played. Of course, that does pretty much stem only from the fact that they changed the rules, and now after the third overtime, it's just two-point conversions back and forth. Although this game could have been ended a lot earlier, I mean, Illinois and Penn State both dropped passes that would have, been, that would have uh, won them the game in triple overtime, and then from the 4th overtime to the 7th overtime, there were no scores. In the 8th overtime, both teams scored. And then in the ninth overtime, Penn State came out, did not score. Uh, and Illinois did, and that sealed the game for them. What a terrible loss for Penn State. Uh, I'm going to get in, get, get more into them uh, later, I guess. But uh, it's just, just what a terrible loss. But it was still a great game to watch. It was very entertaining to watch all the overtimes. Uh, and many opportunities for both teams to close out these this game, but uh, in the end, you had Illinois closing it out in that ninth overtime. Uh, and by the way, it went into overtime ten to ten, only left it twenty to eighteen after nine overtimes. Just twenty points wins that game. Uh, twenty points was not going to win you any of the next two games. I'm here to talk about Miami pulls off the upset over NC State, thirty-one to thirty. This game should not be that much of an upset, but Miami has played really badly all year long, so it did turn into one, but another back-and-forth game. Uh, NC State actually scored more than Miami in the fourth quarter, but Miami got the points when they needed it. One by one point, and that was all they needed to win this game, so uh, I guess a great performance by Miami, although I would argue maybe just more of a bad performance by NC State, regardless of how you want to call it. Miami comes out with the win, and the last best game that I have Number 10, Oregon, going on the road, beating UCLA 34-31. to Almost gave the game up by throwing a pick with about three minutes left and uh, really didn't need to do that. But uh, Anthony Brown kind of forced the throw there. Not very smart. But UCLA almost came back, but then Oregon knocked out uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson from the game and forced their UCLA's backup to come into the game, the brother of Chase Garbers. And uh, he also threw a pick, and that sealed the deal for Oregon to get the win. Uh, interesting note on this game, Travis Dye became the first player ever to run for touchdowns on four straight carries. Very, very interesting stat. Uh, did not have many yards per carry, but had four touchdowns in this game, uh, and that led to Oregon's win over UCLA. Now I will move on to the upsets of the week, starting with Appalachian State. Uh, this was actually on Thursday night. Beat Coastal Carolina 30-27. to Obviously, Coastal Carolina did not lose a regular season game in 2020 and had not lost one yet uh, in 2021 heading into this game. App State was the dominant team in the Sun Belt before Coastal Carolina's great year last year, so it's no surprise that if a team were to beat Coastal Carolina, it would be App State, but uh, still might not have expected it to happen because App State had two losses on the year going into this game and Coastal Carolina was still undefeated, uh, number 14 in the country, really blowing out everybody. They faced a good team and App State took them down, got a game-winning field goal, and that was history for, Co for Coastal Carolina's undefeated record and probably their chance in a New Year's Six Bowl, uh, although I guess it is still possible because Cincinnati might be in the playoffs, so... 
they might be they might be uh, there might be a different need for a group of five representative that's not Cincinnati. So Coastal definitely has a chance still, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's SMU or Houston or uh, someone else in that kind of a category there. Um, moving on to the next two, I actually already talked about them in the best games, but definitely need to mention Illinois' a m- massive road upset over Penn State uh, and Miami's upset over NC State uh, at home to get to 3-4 and four on the year. Uh, a number 7 and number 18 in the country going down, along with number 14. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, and then the last, uh, well, there is one more upset that's not really that much of an upset, but I guess I'll mention it anyway. Iowa State did close in Vegas as seven-point favorites over Oklahoma State, despite Oklahoma State being ranked number eight in the country going into the week, and Iowa State being unranked with two losses. However, Vegas was right, uh, not on the spread itself, but they were right on who ended up winning. Iowa State pulled off the quote-unquote upset, upset by rankings, not by the collective minds of college football. Uh, they won 24-21, dropping Oklahoma State a little bit down in the rankings, although Definitely not as bad of a loss as Penn State's home loss to Illinois, first of all, because it was on the road for Oklahoma State, and second of all, because maybe they were due for a little bit of a letdown week after beating Texas on the road, and also Iowa State is just generally a good team, whereas Illinois, not really. So, uh, not that big of an upset, but I guess I still have to mention it there. Uh, In terms of my most impressive teams, I will start with... San Diego State's 20-14 win over Air Force. I had Air Force picked in this game. Uh, and really, San Diego State, uh, I mean, they were up 13 to nothing at the half and then only had to score one touchdown in the third quarter to ice the game. Well, not even to ice the game, but uh, to extend their lead, they ended up winning 20-14. to So San Diego State came out, pretty much dominated Air Force all throughout the game and really shut Air Force down, did not let them get much going offensively. And that allowed them to keep moving up in the polls. And maybe they could be a New Year's Six Bowl representative uh, for the Mountain West Conference. We'll have to see. Normally, that would be Boise State. But this year, it might be a little bit different. Uh, after that, I have to go with Pitt uh, with their 27-17 win over Clemson. Uh, they were number 23 in the country going into the week 6-1 and one on the season now after that win. Clemson gets their third loss of the year, which I believe is more regular season losses than they had in probably the last four or five years combined. Uh, I do, I'm not verified with that one, but I definitely they've had an undefeated season or two. Uh, and maybe even if you include the playoff, probably the last two or three years. Um, but overall, I mean, look, it's just a good win for Pitt. They went to Heinz Field. They had a big stage set for this game. Uh, they had a pretty good attendance to, for it, too. And they came out. Their defense played amazingly. They got a pick six off of DJ Uyunglele, and they knocked him out of the game. Uh, and actually, well, not knocked him out of the game because he was injured, but Dabo ended up benching DJ, uh, and that really just shows the frustration of Clemson all season. They have not had anything going for them on offense, and I think in past years you would expect them to win a game where their opponent only scores tw- well, not only, but scores twenty-seven points. Normally, they are able to get twenty-seven pretty easily themselves, uh, especially against a team that's ranked in the twenties, but. This year is not their year, uh, and this is a team that's too good for them to beat when they score 27 points. So uh, that, I mean, and by the way, Clemson did score first, and this game was up 7 to nothing. and uh, Pitt ended up uh, scoring 14 straight to go up 14-7 to at the half and then close out the game. So a great job by Pitt all around to secure this win, and I think I was just really impressed because this is kind of a hurdle for a lot of teams in the ACC is beating Clemson, really showing that, 
you belong here because, I mean, no one has beaten Clemson. So anybody who does uh, deserves some praise for it, especially, maybe not this year especially, but uh, still a very important win and probably helps Pitt. That's probably their hardest game uh, en route to the ACC championship game. So this is a massive win in terms of their overall season outlook. The third and fourth teams I will be going with are both top five teams that, you know, they didn't play great teams, but they played good enough teams that their results of scoring 50 or more uh, were still impressive to me. Alabama, with their 52-24 to win over Tennessee, scoring 28 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, there, there's nothing really more you can say about Alabama. There, I think I still have Georgia as the number one team in the country, and I think Alabama still has the talent to be up there with them and definitely could beat them. But if you were to place them on the field tomorrow, I would pick Georgia, but I would be very, 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 very worried that I would get that pick wrong because both of those teams are amazing. And really, I think Alabama, I think we all know Alabama has more talent than Cincinnati, but just the way rankings work because Alabama has a loss, you can't really put them uh, below Cincinnati. However, I think we all know that Alabama and Georgia are the two most talented teams in the country. And if they end up facing off in the SEC championship game, which is looking pretty likely, especially when you consider how congested the SEC West is in general, and Alabama already did play two of the harder games in that uh, division, I think that they will be the championship game matchup in the SEC, and I think it will be a very, very interesting game. Uh, But, you know, Alabama putting up a lot of points. Their defense, giving up 24 at home is not bad. It's not great either. But I think their defense just needs to be not bad, not great. I think they only need to be decent on the defensive end, uh, and their offense will pick it up. I mean, their offensive line is giving Bryce Young so much time to work in the pocket. And if he waits for five seconds and there's no one open, he just has a good mental timer that he has, and he will just get out of the pocket and move. And he'll run for a few yards. And, I mean, it's almost like he could run for a lot more yards, but he just knows that his arm talent is so good that he should just sit in the pocket as long as possible. But he knows when it's about to break down. He has great awareness for that. And uh, that makes Alabama so dynamic, along with uh, Brian Robinson, too. So... Overall, Alabama just looking really, really good like they have all season long. But, uh, you know, a good bounce back after a few weeks ago, they did lose to Texas A&M. And uh, they need to keep continuing to play clean to impress the rest of the country and really to put the the rest of the country on notice that they were right to rank them number one before the season started. Uh, The second, the the last team of my impressive teams uh, was Ohio State. 30 points in the second quarter to beat Indiana, 54-7. Uh... Ohio State scored on the first drive. It was 7-0. Indiana scored on their first drive, 7-7. And after that, it was a complete... I mean, it was just... There there are no words to describe it. Ohio State just flat-out killed Indiana. Uh, 54-7. As I said, it was 7-7 after the first possession. So 47 straight points from Ohio State. And really, they only scored 10 in the second half because they really didn't need to score. Let's be quite honest. They were already up 44-7 at the half. Uh, and this was a primetime game, so regardless of how bad Indiana is, uh, it's still a good win for them. So uh, Ohio State looking real impressive with that offense. That offense is somehow getting better every week still, it seems. So now I will move on from most impressive teams to the most impressive players. Uh, two, two guys who were instrumental in their team's upsets this weekend. Chase Brown from Illinois, a running back, 33 carries. That's a lot of carries. Uh, 223 yards and one touchdown. Illinois did not have any problems moving the ball with the run game all of that game against Penn State. They just could not finish off drives, had a lot of touchdowns called back at the end of drives, and really just 
they took themselves out of it a little bit, but in the end, they played well enough to get the win. Uh, and 223 yards on the ground from Chase Brown was a big reason why. The second guy, Brock Purdy, quarterback for Iowa State, 27 of 33, 307 yards on the ground. I mean, on 307 yards through the air, uh, excuse me, and two touchdowns to beat Oklahoma State. Uh, this is the Brock Purdy that we expected going into the year. This is not the Brock Purdy that played against Iowa, and probably if he had played like this against Iowa, they probably would have won that game. But can't think about the past anymore. For Iowa State, it's all about the future. They are still very much in the race in the Big 12, so we'll see how that turns out uh, later in the year. For the best road wins, I'm going with Wisconsin, Wake Forest, and Oregon. I already talked about Oregon, so I won't get into that. But Wisconsin won 30-13 on the road at Purdue. Really an ugly game. A lot of turnovers both ways, but Wisconsin did pull out the win. And that is a major win in terms of the standings in the Big Big Ten uh, West. Uh, And then you have Wake Forest, who scored 70 points against Army on the road. A 70-56 win. I mean, the quarter summary is ridiculous. 14 in the first, 14 in the second, 21 in the third, and 21 in the fourth to cement this victory over Army. Army's always a tough matchup, so uh, to, to, I mean, their defense, (laughs) Wake Forest defense didn't exactly do so well with that matchup. However, their offense picked it up uh, and was able to propel Wake Forest to the win. For my overall takeaways from college football this week, Uh, The three-way tie between Iowa State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State uh, in second place in the Big 12, all of them with one loss in conference, will lead to a very interesting race to challenge OU for either the top spot, if maybe the other two who haven't played OU can beat uh, Oklahoma, or for second to see who will play them in the conference championship game in a rematch, maybe in a revenge game for Oklahoma, maybe in, in a revenge game for the other teams. Uh, that will be a big decider in the playoff, too. I think uh, the Big 12, frankly, should hope that the worst team out of the three ends up second, just so that Oklahoma will have an easier time making the playoff. But if you get the best team, maybe it's Iowa State. Maybe they can get some revenge from last year. If that's them and that's the, and they're the most talented, they could give Oklahoma a tough time, I think. Uh, and that would be the thing that bars Oklahoma from making the playoff. I don't think they could get in with how rough they've looked throughout the year and really a lack of a strength of schedule uh, if they play week all year and then also end up losing the Big 12 championship game. I don't think they would be in the playoff without some other help. So that could be a very interesting situation to look at uh, by the end of the season, especially with all these teams pretty much having two losses except for Oklahoma State so far. Uh, and then the same kind of situation in the in the Big 10, uh, in the Big 10 East at least, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan all undefeated in conference uh, as we know, number five, number six, and number eight in the country in the AP poll. They're all at 4-0 in conference. And now Penn State, with their loss at Illinois, might be out of contention because they already have two losses, and they have not played any of those other top three teams in the conference. Uh, I do believe they play Ohio State next weekend, and that will be an interesting test as Michigan also plays Michigan State. So we'll have some clarity as to uh, who might be moving on in that race for later in the year already, very, very soon. But I think Penn State with two losses is out of contention because one loss to any of these other three teams, and that three-loss mark is not going to be enough to keep up because uh, if Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State all run the table in their other games, they can only have a maximum of two losses and only one team will have two. So it'll be interesting uh, if they all go one and one and one in those games, then it also probably doesn't matter too much because uh, Penn State would still have two losses. So I think Penn State knocked themselves out of contention, and that's a terrible way to do that, a loss at home to Illinois, arguably the worst team uh, in the Big Ten, although maybe that loss proves that, or maybe that win this week proves that they're not, but 
I would still be willing to venture that they are the worst team uh, in the Big Ten, to be quite honest. And then the SEC West and the Big Ten East, I think, will decide almost the entire playoff picture. We've already seen that after Alabama's beaten Ole Miss and lost to Texas A&M. Their game with Auburn is really their only tough game for the rest of the year. But overall, I mean, those are are two games already. Alabama's win over Ole Miss is holding them uh, in that top four spot. And also their loss to A&M is the only thing holding them from not being in the number one overall spot. And really, if you see chaos in the Big Ten East where they all beat each other, they being Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan, if all of them come out one and one in those matchups, that is going to cause a really rough decision for the playoff committee because uh, Michigan and Michigan State would really only have one amazing win and probably go in 11-1 and to the conference championship game. And then if they win the conference championship game, you're going to have a one-loss conference champion. And if it's Ohio State who over other tiebreakers would end up in the Big Ten championship game, then you're going to have an 11-2 team winning the conference championship, uh, and then you have to decide if the two-loss Big Ten team deserves to go in over an SEC champion with one loss or two losses or an SEC runner-up with one loss, but in that last week, it will be very, very interesting. Uh, But those two divisions definitely deciding the the playoff picture. And now let's move on to the NFL action review for this week, starting with the best games of Week 7. I will start with, uh, well, they're all interesting games, a lot of them for very wacky reasons. The Falcons and the Dolphins, a 30-28 game with a lot of points scored in the fourth quarter. 24 combined points out of the total of 58 points were in the fourth quarter. So just a very interesting back-and-forth battle, albeit not with great teams in it, but still uh, Atlanta having to come down and win the game on a last-second drive and a last-second field goal, actually at a game-ending field goal, a walk-off field goal. Then I'll go with the Rams beating the Lions 28-19. The Lions scored on a 64-yard screen pass on a 3rd and 7 to start this game. Then they onside kicked, recovered the onside kick, got stopped, and faked a punt. All that to just score a field goal, and with a 10-0 lead without the Rams touching the ball yet, the Rams still managed to go all the way down, drive down to the 15 of the Lions, kick a field goal. Uh, end of the first quarter, it was 10-3, and by halftime, the Rams had shut the Lions, or had, had outscored the Lions 14-6 in the second quarter to make it 17-16 going into the half, and then the Rams outright controlled the second half, got a crucial, crucial... Uh, QB hit from Aaron Donald that kind of jarred the ball a little bit loose, made a very weak throw from Jared Goff, uh, where Jalen Ramsey picked it off in the end zone, allowing the Rams to seal the win 28-19, a very, very odd game with two faked punts by the Lions and an onside kick in the first quarter. Uh, Again, just very, very strange. And speaking of strange, the Colts and the Niners played during what was called something like an environmental river, some very odd term that they've been using for it, Uh, and also during a bomb cyclone, which is a bunch of wind gusts and uh, just crazy weather up in San Francisco, a lot of rain, and uh, that rain caused a lot of fumbles, a lot of interceptions, just an overall very sloppy game, but a game that the Colts were able to come out with the win. Uh, The Niners were up 12-7 to at the end of the first quarter, had 12 points, but only scored six in the rest of the game. Uh, and they really did not do anything from the second and third quarter. They did not do anything in the middle of this game. The Colts got one score at least in every single quarter, and that led them to the win, 30-18. to And the last game that was maybe not the best in terms of uh, quality, but uh, still an interesting game, nonetheless a close game, New Orleans and Seattle, 
New Orleans goes into Seattle, wins 13-10 because Seattle misses two field goals, and Al Woods jumps off sides on 4th and 5 with three minutes left in the game, allowing the Saints to get a much, much, much easier field goal, also in some pretty, uh, in some, a little bit of rain and a lot of wind, so any yards are very, very important. The Saints were kicking, I believe, a 40-yard field goal with a new kicker, uh, and because Al Woods jumped off sides, that allowed the Saints to shorten that field goal after getting down into uh, feel into really, really easy field goal range, uh, chip shot field goal range, which he then made that kick for the Saints. And then the Saints won 13-10 because of that, and also because Geno Smith ended up taking two sacks on the final possession. Uh, more on the Seahawks' O-line, to be quite honest, as the Saints ended up with five sacks in this game in total. But regardless, uh, a good win by the Saints. Uh, moving on to the most disappointing teams of the week, there's a theme here. Every single team, the most disappointing team, scored three points. No, not even the Texans, who only scored five against the Cardinals, make the list because, well, the Texans are the Texans. But I will start with the Giant, with the Panthers. Sorry, after losing 25 to three to the Giants, uh, now starting up rumors about trading for Deshaun Watson and not have Sam Darnold playing quarterback for them. Uh, and it's very fitting that Sam Darnold got benched at MetLife Stadium. To be quite honest, his former stadium with the Jets. However, just a terrible game from the Panthers. Uh, they were up three to nothing. Uh, that was all they scored. The Giants then scored 25 in a row. Uh, Daniel Jones drawing comparisons to Odell Beckham on a trick play that the Giants made. Uh, and the Giants overall played a good enough game to just outright dominate the Panthers. And uh, and this one pretty quickly, 25 to three. Same thing with the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers were up 21 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Uh, ended up winning the game 38-3 to over the Bears. The Bears turned the ball over. Actually, Justin Fields turned the ball over five times in this game. The Buccaneers' defense played very, very well uh, and really just never let the Bears get into, a range, get into a range where they could score touchdowns from. Only settled for that one field goal, and that was all they had the whole game. Uh, on a similar note, the Titans' defense did the same thing to the Chiefs. Actually injured Patrick Mahomes near the end of the game. Uh, and the game did end with Chad Henney throwing an interception on a 92-yard drive for the Chiefs. But overall, the Titans just took the ball. They controlled it. They ran so much with Derrick Henry that uh, the Chiefs secondary got sucked in a lot and played a lot of man coverage and could not cover A.J. Brown to save their own lives. And because of that, the Titans scored a lot of points, ended up winning 27-3. Derrick Henry threw more passing touchdowns in this game than Patrick Mahomes. That is all you need to know about that game. Uh, moving on to the most impressive teams, on the flip side of both of those games uh, where we're talking about the Chiefs and the Bears, uh, the Buccaneers' defense, as I said, deserves a lot of credit for that win and their offense humming along as normal. And then the Titans, for what they did, just played well enough. I mean, they didn't need any second-half points to beat the Chiefs. So a great game by the Titans, a great game by the Buccaneers, and also a great game by the Cincinnati Bengals, winning 41-17 to on the road in Baltimore. Uh, again, just a great performance. Jamar Chase was ridiculous in this game. More, to, more on him in a second. But the Bengals came in, and uh, they're a kryptonite the last three years. They have not won a single game against the Ravens on the last three years. They're 0-6, and this year they come in. It's a new-look team. I mean, this team is 5-2 and for a reason. It's not just because of the schedule. Even in their loss against the Packers, they played them all the way until overtime. The Bengals might not be one of the best teams in the AFC, but they are certainly heading for it, and they have the potential to beat those kinds of teams, as we can see from this week's performance, winning 41-17 at the Ravens. I could not be more impressed with Joe Burrow. He's playing so well, playing like the number one pick he was drafted to be. 
Uh, speaking of the Bengals, in my most impressive players, I'm going to go with Jamar Chase. Uh, eight receptions, 201 yards, one touchdown, but really could have had more touchdowns if uh, if Joe Burrow targeted him in, in the red zone a little bit more, but it didn't matter. I mean, on a third and 12, on a third, sorry, on a third and two slant, Jamar Chase caught the ball. Uh, somehow slipped the tackle of three different defenders and aided, ended up with an 82-yard touchdown. Definitely skewed his yardage a little bit in this game, but he was very, very effective throughout the game, and the, the Bengals couldn't have won this game without him. Uh, and really, the Bengals just had a great offensive game plan uh, and came out and executed it very, very well and played well enough on defense definitely to only hold the Ravens to 17 points and uh, held them down enough to win this game. And uh, again, Jamar Chase was just ridiculous. Speaking of just ridiculous, how about a 91.2 completion percentage from Derek Carr, albeit against the Eagles uh, at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, but 31 of 34, 323 yards, and two touchdowns from Derek Carr. A really great game that Carr played. Uh, Really a dark horse MVP candidate. I don't know if he's dark horse anymore, but to start the year, he definitely was not on anybody's radar. And now that the Raiders are five and two, and even without Coach John Gruden, Rick Passaccia has taken a nice job. Has done a nice job taking over, uh, and the Raiders are still playing well enough to keep themselves in playoff conversation. To be quite honest, so uh, a very interesting storyline to watch, especially with the tumble of the Chiefs down the standings in the AFC West. Now three and four on the year. Uh, which gives the Raiders a good chance of winning that division with the Chargers at the top uh, also at 4-2. and two. Uh, But that's also with the Raiders having a loss on the road to the Chargers head-to-head. If they can win that home game against the Chargers later in the year, maybe they can take a shot at winning the division. We will have to see. Um, in terms of my overall takeaways for Week 7, I will start with just an overall look at the NFC. Uh, the Cowboys, the Packers, the Buccaneers, the Rams, and the Cardinals, I think it's safe to say they will make up the top five of the NFC. All these teams have one or no <laughs> losses on the year. Uh, the Cowboys may be the easiest schedule out of all of them, but the Rams' only loss was a complete blowout to the Cardinals, which shows how good the Cardinals are, who are also 7-0 and on the year. The Rams are 6-1. and The Bucks are 6-1 and with only a loss to the Rams, uh, and the Packers are 6-1 and with only that week one ugly loss to the Saints, but have really been playing super clean since then, so it is very hard to say. Uh, who out of those top? Who out of those five is the best? Uh, the Cowboys and, and the Packers and the Rams and the Bucks and the Cardinals, honestly, all have cases for being the top five offenses each in the NFL. So there's a lot of conversation that can go back and forth there. Uh, the Bucks maybe with the best experience, and the Packers maybe with the weakest defense. Uh, the Cardinals playing a lot better this year. Maybe the Cowboys might have a weaker defense than the Packers, but you could go back and forth on who is better for a very, very long time. There is no clear answer right now. And then we'll have to wait to see who will get the last two spots. I mean, at this point, uh, the Seahawks are 2-5, and five, so it's looking like it won't be them. The Saints are 4-2, and two, so maybe they're a strong candidate there. Uh, the Vikings are 3-3. Three and three. Even the Falcons are 3-3. Three and three. There are a lot of teams who can be in contention there. I wouldn't be surprised if Russell Wilson propels the Seahawks back into this race, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they dig too deep of a hole to dig themselves out of by the end of the year. Uh, but it will be an interesting race, and just because of those overall pedestrian records outside of that top five, I really think that's the reason they have it locked up, not because those teams are way, way, way better. Um, finally, uh, my last thing, the AFC, let's talk about it. Are the Titans the best? I don't know. 
Are, is it the Bengals? Was it just an anomaly from the Baltimore? It's very, very hard to tell. And honestly, I can't tell you. My pick right now would be out of the Titans, Ravens, or Bills just because the Bengals don't quite have the experience in the playoffs that I think they'd be able to make a deep run. Uh, but if you asked me who would be in the AFC Championship game if there were two, uh, if there were double headers played tomorrow between the Ravens, Bills, Bengals, um, and Titans, I would probably say that the Titans would lose to the Bills in that game, and I think the Bills would end up going to the Super Bowl from the AFC. That's my Super Bowl pick for now. Uh, I think before the year, look, it was the AFC Championship game from last year, uh, the Bills and the Chiefs. I know that the Bills did lose to the Titans, but I almost feel like that was more... Uh, the Bills playing weak because they thought the Chiefs were their biggest challenge on the year, and maybe it was a little bit of a letdown week. Uh, and then the Titans did the opposite, where they played the Bills and then said, we're not done yet, and played even better against the Chiefs. So it is, again, it's very, very hard to tell. Uh, and the Ravens and Titans have had some interesting playoff games in the last few years, too. So there's a lot of conversation there. Uh, and the Bengals, I just don't think they have the experience for me to really lob them into that conversation, although I could see them as a serious contender by the end of the year, but we will have to see. For now, that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, October 29th, where we will have our weekly analysis of the MLB action, which will now be just World Series games, uh, and a little bit of the end of the NLCS and ALCS, and have our first look back at the NBA season for the first week and the week and a half. In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my picks for next weekend's games, my predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons, uh, the sixth installment of, or sorry, the eighth installment of our college football top 25 poll on Tuesday, and also probably at some point in the next few weeks, my first bracket update of the year. I will be making an initial bracket, uh, so you can also see where I believe the teams rank heading into the year. Uh, but that will all be on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.